Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message from Norm Oberlin, pastor of Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will help strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy. And now, here is Pastor Norm. What, a, what an amazing morning already. You know, we could just stop right now and, and I think we'd be done, but that's not going to happen. Just, the perils of living for good enough, that's the subtitle of today's message. And it'll make a lot more sense when I'm done. Would you stand with me one more time as... This is, I just don't even want to try this without prayer. <laughs> We've been praying, but I want a, an extra prayer. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the word that you've already spoken. We believe, Lord, you are doing something here, and, and you are challenging us to step up and to receive all that you have for us. This church has seen nothing yet. I believe we are, as Jesus said, we are going to do even greater things than he did. And Lord, that's just about to come. And today I pray that you would minister to each one of us. Lord, prepare our hearts to receive. And if this message is for us, for an individual, I pray they would know it. If it's for me, that I would know it. Lord, that you would just tenderize our hearts to be able to receive this and I pray that the seeds from your word, Lord, would go deep. That you would grow this church up so that we can carry out the great commission, which I believe is the challenge in front of us. We love you and we commit this church and the people of Mount Hope Church and all of our visitors into your hands. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. I want to start reading from the book of Philippians today. Philippians chapter 2. Beginning with verse 5, I'm reading primarily from the NLT today. This first verse is so important. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The time is coming when all believers will be rewarded with eternal life. How many of you have your ticket to heaven already? All right? Ticket to heaven? That's kind of like going to a movie theater or a concert. In order to get in, you have to have what? In order to get into heaven, you have to have salvation. You have to have his ticket. How do you pay for your ticket? You can't. You can't. You will only be admitted into heaven because of Jesus' willingness to humble himself and come to this planet some 33 years, for some 33 years of his life, in order to take your place and my place upon that cross that was meant for us. Through his one faithful act, all men are saved, at least those that call upon the name of Jesus. But each one must take hold of that free gift of salvation, and they do that by repenting of their sins 
and turning their lives over to Jesus Christ. Now, if you haven't done that, do it right now. What are you waiting for? I said this so many times. I've lived on both sides of the fence, good and bad. And before I knew Jesus, wow, life was not fun. And I was ready to cash it in. And then somebody introduced me to him, my Savior. (laughs) And everything changed. The way I lived before, I lived for myself, I lived selfishly. I didn't think about my family that much. I was a young, we were a young family, similar to Anna and Nick. I'd come home, drink my beers, expect my wife to get my meal, and that was kind of the relationship we had. And then that day came when Jesus got hold of this man. And I'm telling you what, glory to God, he changed me from the inside out, and everything from that point forward became blessed. Even the bad times, God got us through them. You know, being a Christian doesn't mean you won't face any kind of trouble. But you're not in it alone anymore. That's the beauty of it. That's what Jesus did for us. And he's kept us there for all these years. We just Last year we celebrated our, I know I don't look like it, 40th anniversary. Of course... Of course, we got married when I was 10, and she was 11, but not really. Take everything I say for granted. What I want you to get into your spirit is this today. The Apostle Paul emphasized in this passage, we must have the same attitude as Christ had. We must have. What was his attitude? Though he had everything. Jesus had it all. He set that aside in order to come here to become our Savior. And what that says to me is, he thought more of others than he thought of himself. He thought more of you and me than he thought of himself, if you want to put it like that. You see, even though he died 2,000 years ago and was raised from the dead three days later, God isn't held by time. He saw your face and he saw my face while he was hanging on that cross. He knew us. He knows us. The Bible says he counted the very hairs on our head. That's how intimate with you and me that he is. He didn't think more highly of himself than he should have. You see, Jesus explained to his disciples that if you want to be the leader, you have to first become the what? The servant or the slave some transcripts call it. Now we don't like that word slave. It means bad things. But Jesus came to become our slave. He did. And without him, we would have no life today. We would have no eternal life. What he did on that cross so many years ago was a miracle. It was a miracle. What he did for you and me was a miracle. And that miracle is still paying off today. Every time somebody raises their hand for Jesus. Every time somebody says, come into my heart, Lord. Forgive me of my many sins and make me. Make me that new person you've called me to be. What a joy. What a joy it is to serve him. But hear this part. What if he had gone through that 30 years on this planet 
And he did great things, you know. He healed the sick. He never sinned. And then he sees the Roman soldiers coming for him. He's in the garden and he's praying and he just stops and he says, Father, I know what's about to come and and you know what? I, I think that even though you've called me to die for these people, I think this is good enough. So I'd like to come home now. What would have happened if what Jesus had done up to that point in his life, if he'd said, this is good enough? Where would we be today? Still living in sin. Even though we would have been blown away by the way Jesus lived his sinless life. He healed people. We'd still be talking about him today, but nothing would have followed that life. And the, bad, the other side of this is, if Jesus had said, take me home, then he would have been in disobedience to his father. Which would have meant what? He was in sin, and we know Jesus doesn't sin. The fact is that he was obedient. He became our sacrifice to take away our sins so that we could live forever with God in heaven. But there are still a lot of people on this planet that don't know Jesus. They need to hear the the beautiful story that you and I have heard. They need to be given an opportunity to say yes to God's free gift of eternal life. Last week I read from the book of Romans, chapter 1. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I wanted to go back there today, or I will in just a minute. Here the Bible tells us we're to be no longer conformed to the world's standard. Rather, we are to let God transform us into his likeness. Nate Roberts talked about this a little bit last Wednesday when he spoke of our putting Jesus' clothes on. Right? That means we're to look like him, clothe ourselves in His righteousness. We're to take on or begin to look like Jesus. Believers, in order to do this, must be willing to do something that I don't think is in our vernacular anymore. We're not used to this. We don't like this word. You know, I hope he doesn't mind that I share this, but some of you understand what this word means. If you've been in the military, you've served. And uh, I know my neighbor's here today, and Al, God bless you. And and I know you've you've told me some of your story, and uh, thank you for serving this country, and all of you, all of you in, in this room. But the word I wanted to talk about wasn't serving, it was sacrifice. My neighbor sacrificed so much in his youth to serve this country, to serve you and me, to keep us protected. Jesus did the same thing for us. Gave his life, set his crown aside and said, all right, Lord, Father, if this is what you want, I'm here. I'm here to honor you and obey you. 
And he gave his life as a ransom for us. Sacrifice. And let me ask you this. Do you continually bring a living and holy sacrifice to God? One that he will find acceptable. That's what today's message is about. Or as the title revealed, the subtitle, does your living for God entail the bare minimum? And have you convinced yourself that it's good enough? This is the hard part of today's message. You see, I think we've fallen into that trap of believing that we've given enough. You know? We've got no more to give, or at least we don't want to give anymore. That word sacrifice is no longer in our language. What about you? Where do you fall into this, Christian? God has given you eternal life. And that reward should be enough to turn to Him and to begin to serve Him all the days that you have left on this earth. And that's something a lot of pastors don't talk about. They convince you that you need to pray that sinner's prayer, but then they leave it short and they, they stop there. And it's like, that's where it begins. That's where your life begins. And it's a life of, look, God saved me. God is giving me eternal life. When I get to heaven, the streets are made of gold. Amen. The doors were cut out of giant pearls for crying out loud. And I can't wait to see those oysters. It's going to be awesome. But we've got to get through this life first. And we need to honor God sacrificially while we're here. Just as a thank you for what He's already done for us. Sacrifice. That's what we're called to do. Those who call themselves Christian, they, they have found ways to justify their limited involvement with the church. And I'm not just speaking about this church. I'm talking about every church. They carry out their religious duties and they do the bare minimum of what one feels is enough. And then they expect God to bless that kind of behavior. I hope this isn't you, but if it is, if the shoe fits, wear it. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict you here. So that when you get to heaven, when that day comes, you're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And not the other one that, get behind me, I didn't know you. You didn't know me. Back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Why would anyone plead? What does that mean, to plead? Very important, right? I plead with you. Give your what? Bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Can you read that part with me? I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Keep going. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. Is that you? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person 
by changing the way you think. Stop thinking with that worldly mind. Start thinking with God's mind and heart. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You want to be, you want peace? You need to figure out what God's will for your life is. Because until you get there, you're going to be, it's going to be bumpy, because God's trying to get you on the path that he wants you to take. Now we waffle, he doesn't, we do. You know what I mean by waffle? You know? That's how we are as Christians. God has a plan for us. And when we get into his perfect will, I'm telling you what, the blessings are going to pour out on you. But if you're not there, most likely you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to find yourself in a place where you're going, man, that didn't work. Why aren't I satisfied with my life? What, what's wrong with me? Nothing. If you've got Jesus, nothing's wrong with you, but you're not where you need to be. Sacrifice. Is the way you think now different from how you thought before you were saved? Is it? It should be. Has your mind been transformed? Just as the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has what? Begun. So the old man is dead. Poke your neighbor and say, the old man is dead. Now gently poke him again and say, but the new life has begun. 2 Corinthians 5.17 To be transformed into the person God wants you to be, you must be willing to take an active part in the process. You choose what to put into your life and you choose what you're going to give out from your life. Did you get that? You choose whether to watch TV for six hours every night. Play video games, or you choose to pray and read your Bible, or even get out into public and, and allow your witness to be seen in our community. You choose what to do with your life. Our walk with Jesus is 24-7, it's not just on Sunday. And we have to keep this in mind because that's where the sacrifice comes in, it's it's fairly easy to come to church on Sunday, although you wouldn't know that sometimes by looking around. But When I count up how many people are in Florida this week, that is not sacrifice. But I hope they come back refreshed. Ask yourself, is how I am living my life a worthy sacrifice to God? Am I worshiping Him with all that I have, all that He's given me with the best of my ability? Or am I taking shortcuts? Am I doing the bare minimum that I feel He requires? The latter, of course, is a, a form of religion. These were the kinds of people that Jesus rebuked frequently. They were known as Pharisees. It was the letter of the law, not the spirit. 
It's what's in your heart as you worship Him that He sees. It's not that ritual, oh, I'm so holy, look at me. I'm just a worshiper. Anybody watching? That's religion. But when you close your eyes and you forget about everybody around you, and you just worship. You don't care what anybody thinks or sees. You're just entering in. That's pure religion. That's what God wants from us. Hallelujah. Let me ask you, did Jesus go halfway? We already talked about that. No way. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. So what did we inherit? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Eve. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Jesus went all the way. And because of him, you and I are forgiven. Jesus humbled himself. He set his crown aside so that he could redeem us from all wickedness. And like Jesus, we are called to walk in humility and think more highly of others than we do ourselves. And by the way, humility is not a matter of hanging your head low and denying yourself rich foods. There are a lot of people that do that. What does it accomplish? I don't know. As one person put it, humility is not an ideal. It is the unconscious result of the life being rightly related to God. When you line up with the Lord, everything else comes into place. When you seek after Him for everything you do, that's humility. That's, that's true humility. When you put God first and you look up to Him and say, I can't get through this day without something from you, Lord. Speak into my heart. You're admitting that you can't do it. You're admitting that the only way you're going to succeed is if He does do it through you. That's the relationship that He wants with us. How do you know if you're living for God? Living right for God. We have to compare ourselves to who? Jesus. He is our pattern to follow. He is the one God sent so that we would have something to compare our own lives to. The problem is we start to look at each other and we start to think, well, you know, Brother Dan, I mean, we all know how he lives. <laughs> I, I live so much better than he does, you know. I'm just picking on you. You get what I'm saying here? I start comparing myself, or even worse, I start comparing myself to the world. Did you see those wicked shows last night? I don't watch those wicked shows, you know. Okay, I might tell a little white lie every now and then, but who doesn't? Can you hear me now? Do you get what I'm trying to get across here today? 
We can't compare ourselves to each other. We can't compare ourselves to the world and try to justify the sin in our life. We can't do that. There's only one we're to compare ourselves to, and that's Jesus Christ. I like how, uh, let's see, did I pass it? Oh, there it is. It's coming. As I see it, the church has become satisfied with the little that they give back. Little is required because they compare themselves to the world rather than to the, 20, the first century church. When you think about the first century church, what did they do? Can you think of, like, we, we talk about tithing, you know. You better tithe, man. If you're going to live for God, you better tithe. How did the first century church live? They sold their property and gave it all to the church. I'm not telling you to do that. What I'm trying to get you to see is the form of sacrifice they had. In order to serve Jesus back then, you risked your life. There are some countries today where you do that. If someone found out you were a part of the way, if you followed Jesus, then your life was threatened. Especially if you were Jewish and had been converted to Christ. They weren't happy with the converted Jews. So the early church struggled with everything they did, but did they let it stop them? No. There was a fire in them. The Holy Spirit poured himself out in them, and there was a fire in Jerusalem. That first day, how many came to Christ? 3,000 people. And, and I'm sure that's just the... I know when I try to count, I can't hardly count... That's just the number that they threw out. There were probably more, and many more came to Christ after that. But it required sacrifice. And they knew that in order for the gospel to go out, they had to be willing to give up everything that they had. And they were willing to do that. So here's the thing. Don't justify your sins using comparison. It won't hold up in heaven's court. By accepting this kind of an attitude, you negate what God has already done for you. You are, in a sense, saying, I know that Jesus did a lot for me, but I think I've done a lot for him too. Anybody ever felt like that? You know, I've served the Lord my whole life. He owes me. Lord, help us never to get to that place where we feel we've earned or even deserve your blessings. Romans 6, verse 12 and following. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God for you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use part of your body. Did I miss that part? But use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. Amen. You can applaud that. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. 
This is good news. To quote D.L. Moody, one of the the saints that uh, had a huge impact on the church, in reference to Romans 6.13, he said this, he said, God honoring spiritual sacrifice begins when believers offer God all their human faculties, including their minds and every part of their bodies. The unregenerate, meaning the, the unchurched, the sinners, they yield the members of their bodies to sin, but the redeemed, that's you and me if you're a Christian, they yield their members as instruments of righteousness. Which way do you go? Because it's one or the other. You either use your body for good and righteousness and it brings glory to God or you use it to sin. Have you been redeemed by the blood of Jesus? Then you should show it. You will never be able to pay God back for saving you and giving you everlasting life. And how many are looking forward to that day? You may not be able to pay for it, but you can live for him with everything that you have, everything that he's given you. Just like you used to use everything you own to live for the devil, now use it to bring God glory and praise and honor. I believe the Holy Spirit is challenging us to give everything we've got to the kingdom to be used to reach the lost. We become an instrument of righteousness in his hands. How many want to see that? Hallelujah. Back in the day when I first came to Christ, we sang this song. We bring the sacrifice of praise. I'm not a singer, but I felt inclined to sing this. If you know it, sing it with me. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of joy. You know, that's an oldie. It's it's not like Elvis Presley, you know. (laughs) Yeah, you know the motorhound. You know, that kind of sticks with you too. But this one, when I start feeling down, when I start feeling like, This is a song you can get in your spirit, and it's so short. Anybody can remember that, right? It's so short. Start singing that to him. Start praising him. Start giving thanks. When my wife and I first came to know Jesus as Lord, something changed in our life, and and, you know, at the time we worked, I worked at General Motors and we had a really good income and all of that. And then God started challenging us to be sacrificial. And at first it was easy, you know, like 10% off of my net. How many were there? You started there, right? That, 
got to write that check, 10% off the net. And then this brother came over, much more spiritual than me. And he said, Norm, you got to give off the gross, man. I'm like, what? Do you know how much I make? I worked at General Motors. You know how much I grossed? Because honestly, the government took 30% of what I had. (laughs) And he wanted me to tithe off that gross. I was like, it, it took a little longer for me to grab hold of that. But we did it. Barb, is she in there? She's probably, uh, did we do it? We did it. In fact, there's one point where she did it and I didn't do it, but she never stopped, even though I said don't. <laughs> You've heard that probably. I'm admitting my humanness. And then Pastor Dave would get in front of the church and he'd say, God has put it on my heart to build a 3,000-seat auditorium just a few miles west of here. And our church at the time was running uh, two or three services, Sunday morning, two at night. And she and I just put our heads together, prayed, and, and wrote checks like there was no tomorrow. Now, we had the money in there. I'm only sharing this because I want you to just catch what I'm trying to say as far as sacrifice. And it wasn't just the money either, but it was our time. We would get out of work, and there were several of us that did this. I worked the afternoons at that time. We'd get out of work about 11.30, 12 o'clock at night. How many just want to go home? You just spent eight hours in the factory, you don't, or 12. You don't want to do anything else, right? Some wanted to go to the bar and have a beer, whatever. But what I'm talking about is these men decided, and I was one of them, let's beat at church and let's pray. And I I want you to know that when you get five or ten men in church at midnight or one o'clock in the morning until three or four, I promise you God showed up. But was that easy? No. That was a sacrifice. But we started seeing so many amazing things happen. We should have had you put him up here. (laughs) She's sleeping away. What is this? There's There's a story behind this little child laying up here all by herself without a mother or father next to her. I believe the Holy Spirit is trying to motivate the church to get back to that place like the first century church where we begin to offer up the sacrifice of praise once again. To understand what that means. To begin to value our time as much as we do our finances. Hebrews 13 It just says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. So when you're worshiping him, when you're sacrificially praising him, you are literally proclaiming your allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. All this is just part of it. These are the sacrifices that please God. I want to get back to this place. I believe this is the challenge that the Holy Spirit 
is laying at our feet today. This is Eliana. Normally by now, Eliana is fussing because she wants more of mom, not less. But mom took such good care of her this morning that she's out like a log. She's so cute. What I was hoping would happen was that she'd fuss and you'd all be looking at me like, what is that baby doing up there on that stage unattended? What kind of mother or father would do that? They're great parents, by the way, Anna and Nick. I asked her if she would kindly deposit her baby at the altar and then just step away, step away from the baby for just a little bit, and then you would begin to think, what's wrong with these people? Why would anyone leave a little baby like that? Somebody should be coddling her, feeding her, changing her diaper. But they're not. What kind of church is this? That's what I was hoping you'd see. My object lessons never work. <laughs> but thank you just the same, because I know it was a lot for you to do this. I'm 15 feet away from her. She's ready. She's ready to bolt. Why did I ask her to do that? I believe the Lord is asking the church, specifically the people of Mount Hope, to take a daring new direction. And I'm talking about something that was common in the first century church, the New Testament church, and that was that people were willing to sacrifice in order to see God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it was in heaven. Here's what's happened. In the last two or three hundred years, the congregations or the members or whatever they call their people They fell into the trap of allowing their pastor to do everything. And that was okay with them. But what's happened is we've forgotten what it means to sacrifice. And our churches have begun to decline. Why? Because we're missing a key ingredient. The body of Christ is just that. And if one part is taxed too much, some of you know this, if your heart is taxed too much, what happens? A heart attack. It gives out because it's too taxed. And I'm not up here saying, oh, the weight is too heavy. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to get you to see, though, is what God, I believe, is trying to get you to see, and that is it takes all of us for the body of Christ to work. It takes all of us if we want to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how many have been come out of a big family? Right? We had there were five kids in my family. Anybody more than that? Anybody over ten kids? A dozen? Because, you know, it's cheaper by the dozen. You, 
You've probably seen that movie. I can promise you it is not cheaper by the dozen. And it's not just financially, it's your sanity. But in that movie, it, it did illustrate something I wanted you to see. As the siblings grew, the older ones would begin to do what? Help take care of the younger ones. Keep them safe. Make sure that their diapers were changed. Make sure they were playing fair and they didn't go play with the stove or matches or whatever it was. That's just how it was. And that gave mom and dad a little bit of their sanity back. Not a lot, but a little. I still remember when my mom would look at me and I had two little brothers and she'd say, Norm, why don't you take your little brothers down to the park and play with them? Well, if I could speak for her, what she was really saying is, I'm about ready to break some necks. <laughs> Back in those days, you could do that without DHS showing up. But I'm about ready, you know. I just need some alone time, so would you please take your two little brothers and you guys go down and have fun at the park, but be safe. So that was my responsibility. The same is true in the church. You are being challenged like the big brother and big sister to help take care of those who God has put into our care. Here's the good news. Our church has been growing. But every time we get near that magic number of 200, our attendance backs off. Why? I believe that this is what the Lord showed me, that every time we get near 200 and we begin to see the increase in needs in the church, there aren't enough of us to take care of those needs. And we begin to decline. What, this, what I want you to take away from this is that, like Eliana, we have to take care of our babies. Spiritually speaking, just like you would take care of a physical baby by changing their diaper, feeding them, holding them when they start to get concerned, you know, and comforting them, the same is true with a spiritual baby. Somebody that comes in maybe a week ago or two weeks ago and they said yes to Jesus and they came back this week. Do you know what the enemy's trying to do right now? Destroy them. I had a brother in the church and, and he's, in a, he's up in the, the leadership here and he said to me, he said, you know, when I came to Christ, nobody was there for me. Were it not for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here today. I had to figure everything out on my own. That is not how God intended the church to be. What it's saying is the church has lost its way. It's not the building. It's not like the, the, the movie, the field of dreams, if you build it, they will come. No way. You know, that's a false premise. I've watched way too many churches build it, and they didn't come, and that church went under. And the ministry, good ministries, went under. So if it's not the building, what is it that brings the people in? It's the people of God. If we prepare ourselves, and if we study God's word to show ourselves approved, if we pray for that harvest, and in that process find ourselves growing in maturity, which we should, by the way, that's when God will send us in the harvest. That's when God will send the harvest. Now this is very important. I need you to hear this part. 
God is not going to send people to get saved in our church if we are not willing to sacrifice our time, our energy, and our effort to raise these spiritual infants until they're strong enough to stand on their own. Would it be all right if I read that one more time because it's so important? God is not going to send people to get saved in our church if we are not willing to sacrifice our time, our energy, and our effort to raise these spiritual infants until they're strong enough and mature enough to stand on their own. So here's what I'm asking all of you who are a part of Mount Hope Church to begin to exercise. I need you to exercise courage because it takes courage to believe that this is going to come to pass. I need you to join your faith with ours. We can't do this without faith. Nothing happens without faith, all right? And last but not least, we must be willing to give sacrificially to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. By doing this, we will see many people brought into the kingdom where they will get trained and then released to go out and do the same. And I believe that's what the Great Commission is all about. That's how the Lord amplifies or multiplies His church. And I believe that's what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and me today. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. As I begin to close, you know what that means. I want to share something quickly that Jesus told his disciples. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 to 39. This is the NIV. And as I read this, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see where you line up with these words. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his, take, does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And the last verse, whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see what the Lord was trying to tell us here? It's all about sacrifice. What are you willing to give to the, the kingdom of God? You know, we've been saved. If, if you're born again, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and when you get to heaven, come on in. But there are way too many people out there who aren't in that same boat. And right now, if, they were to, if their hearts were to stop beating, if they were to die today, where would they go? I should have used him. <laughs> this world cannot mean more to you than the kingdom of God. You have to be willing to sacrifice everything in this world to be one of Jesus' followers. If you're willing to give up this life for Christ, you will gain abundant life here and everlasting life when you get to heaven. And I believe God is, is asking a response from us. I'm going to have you stand with me. Now normally, here I would ask you to raise your hand or I'd pray a prayer with you and I just didn't feel like that's what I was supposed to do this week. 
I sensed that this week was going to be different. And what I feel the Holy Spirit wants us to do, I, I think that He's challenging us and He wants you to make a real commitment to Him. And that's why I want to give you this week to really pray this through and to ask the Lord, am I willing to pick up my cross and follow Him? Is Jesus more important to me than my mom and dad, my wife, my children? Because if he's not, then things are out of balance. But if he is, you're in the right place. Are you willing? Are you really willing to pick up your cross and follow Jesus? In just a minute, I'm going to close. But I wanted to read Romans 12, 1 and 2 again. This time from the Message Bible, and I, I don't go here often, but I really, when I read what he wrote about this passage, I thought, wow, I really like this. I was on the wrong one. Here we go. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Can you do that? Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what He wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So here's my prayer. That Romans 12, 1 and 2 would be yours this week. That you would really get take time. You, what's the word today? Sacrifice. sacrifice. That you would sacrifice some time this week. Try to do this every day at least. I, I don't even want to throw a time out. For some of you, 10 minutes is long. For some of you, an hour. Whatever it is, feel it. Spend that time with God because He loves you. Let me ask you, why would you want to live with God forever when you don't even spend two minutes with Him on this side? That's something you need to entertain. And when you come back next week, for those who say, I'm here because I really want to give them my all, I'm ready. Whatever that means, I'll, I'll do whatever's required to see this church, the church, grow. Include me in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have something for you to do next week, all right? Some kind of a commitment, a pledge. It's not going to be painful, but I believe it's going to change how we do church. Now, does this line up with the word that our brother gave earlier? I feel like it does. Because you've never heard me talk like this before. But here's the thing. If we all get this, look out. We'll be going to two or three services Sunday morning. Can I share one last thing? Then I'm going to close in prayer.
we had the privilege of working with Pastor Dave Williams back then. And he taught us how to be lay ministers. Everyone in the church was a lay minister. Everybody knew how to... Uh, we all put together little mini-sermons. We all had to do seven-minute sermons. Mine was horrible. And you're like, yeah, nothing's changed. <laughs> now, if you'd heard my first one, you'd say, no, thank God. Anyway, but we knew how to lead somebody to Jesus. We were little mini-pastors. We would pray. If somebody said, oh, man, I'm sick, or Aunt Ethel's dying, we knew how to pray. We didn't even hesitate. We jumped in and did it. Not because we were anybody special, but because we were the church. Not our pastor. He was a part of the church, but he was the visionary. The rest of us were the church. And when we got it in our spirit, that God wanted to send a harvest to Mount Hope Church in Lansing. When we all recognized that, we started to show ourselves approved, and we sold out to that idea. That's when God sent the people. But he isn't going to send these little babies into a church that's not ready. Because they would, in turn, fall away and die. You can go ahead and take her. She's so precious. Thank you. Thank you, Christy. So anyway, I think we've got a future ahead of us that's so bright, but it's going to take all of us. We pray you enjoyed this message from Pastor Norm Oberlin. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at GaylorChurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.